0: Hello and welcome to Catholic in America. Um, I'm Father Michael Nixon and we're very, very uh, blessed and excited uh, to be joined by a special guest uh, today, um, Mary uh, Eberstadt and Father Doug Martin's with me as well. And uh, so Mary, thanks so much for joining us today on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Father Michael, good to be here.
0: And uh, Mary's coming to us from Washington D.C. So, Mary, your your curriculum vitae is 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 long, and, and, and a lot of publications. And we, we've been marveling at your writing skills. Um, so, so what what exactly <laughs> for, for people who have not encountered you yet, what ex- what exactly uh, do you do? What's, what, what's what's your main your main uh, job? And I know you work um, with the uh, with, as a senior fellow with the Faith and Reason Institute. Um, so, is, is that is that your is that your normal day job?
1: Well, in the sense that I'm a writer, I don't really have a day job, Uh, but I've written uh, several books and several articles, uh, lots of articles rather, and the best way to summarize my work is to say that for the last 15 years, I've been trying to systematically map the consequences of the sexual revolution, because I think the way our dominant culture talks about that phenomenon, um, is misleading. And so I've written about the effects of the sexual revolution on families, on children. Uh, I've written about the relationship between the church, secularization, and the sexual revolution. I think these things are very intertwined, and that's an important point to make because a lot of people think that the fall-off in religious practice is due to the fact that people don't need God anymore. And what I'm able to show in my work is that the fall off in religious practice is actually closely related to the decline of the family in the aftermath of the sexual revolution. So, so I cover a broad spectrum in a way that I hope is helpful to people. And I hope that the work clarifies uh, what's really going on around us.
0: I, I first encountered your work, and i 'll let Father, Father Doug uh, uh, jump in as well with with the book um, Adam and Eve after the pill," which was was exactly a, as you said a real good synthesis and diagnosis of our culture and society um, both religiously and, and, and family, across family life and, and and society, and what impact uh, the sexual revolution uh, ha, has had and the negative impacts and and, and how that doesn 't just affect sex and family life but it affects a much. Wider, uh, just array of, of of institutions and society at large. Bob, Doug, how how did you encounter Mary's work?
2: Um, mainly through articles. I mean, I, I've um, I, I've encountered the book as well. I haven't um, read it all the way through, but I've, I've encountered the book as well. But through mainly through her articles and uh, the things that I see, you know, over the internet, and I've seen it in journals as well, and just. Um, she, for the most part, just hits it right on the head as far as the issues that we're seeing in our society and, you know, the way that we try and blame those issues on, on a wide array of things, but they really do come back to a, a very central thing, and it really is the breakdown
0: of the family. And so I think Mary's hit it right on the head with this yeah so so we're very appreciative of that, and I think too, particularly looking at twenty twenty i know I know some people are saying you know the worst year ever and everything else, and kind of these these uh, um these you know sort of very uh uh, uh just headline grabbing kind of uh, statements about twenty twenty but we have seen in a sense maybe an intensification of what was already there before um so you, you wrote this article, the Fury of the Fatherless, and it came out in first things. So tell us a little, little bit about the idea behind that article. And, and obviously it's, it's coming from the book, Primal Screams that, that was um, uh, released earlier. So yeah, so what, what inspired you to write this? And we can get into the, the, the content of, of the, the argument as well.
1: Well, sure, what inspired me was that like everyone else in the country, I was seeing on television night after night, these riots in the streets of the United States and these widespread protests that began as protests against police brutality, but then quickly morphed into something else. And just to give listeners a sense of the scale of all of this, there were some 10,000 protests or uh, outbreaks of unrest, I think is the polite way of putting it, across the country throughout the summer and into the fall. And of those, over 500 turned violent. So the first thing we have to understand is that this is without precedent, there's never been this kind of protesting on this scale. So what I write about in the article uh, is the idea that these protests represent something new. I think a long simmering set of pathologies has now percolated into the streets of the United States. You see these disconnected young people, and they are mostly young, uh, tearing down not just Confederate statues, But statues of anything that looks like a male authority figure, statues of town fathers. Uh, In Washington, where I am right now, a a statue of Mahatma Gandhi was, um, was defaced. So there is something going on under the surface here that is not just about protest as usual. And in the article, The Fury of the Fatherless, what I argue is that what's going on is that young people today are increasingly dispossessed of very important elemental things. Um, Literal fatherlessness, which we all know has been uh, on the rise. Something like 40% of kids grow up without a dad at home. But also fatherlessness in a spiritual sense. Many young people today don't know what organized religion is. They haven't been brought up in it. And so they're dispossessed of the father capital F And the third kind of dispossession is attachment to country, attachment to place. If you look at surveys, you see that young people are increasingly less patriotic than older people. So again, what I'm arguing is that being untethered from these very important primal attachments has resulted in an increasingly dysfunctional generation of people who are desperate to attach to something and that, I think, is where we see identity politics come in.
0: So the, the identity politics, and, and maybe you can give a quick breakdown of, of what that is, because it manifests a lot in higher education, but it's kind of becoming sort of the normal uh, just way of viewing the world that, that's, that's accepted in, in sort of mainstream culture now. Um, but that becomes an easy sort of in for people. You're looking to connect to something. You're not connected to your, you know, disconnected from your family, disconnected from there's no connection to religion. Um, you're know, dispersed in the sense you know, that we don't really have a strong connection to our, uh, our country. So, nothing really greater than yourself. So, in a sense, it kind of becomes this cause that we can attach ourselves to. Is that, is, that, is that what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm seeing. And I think it goes pretty deep. In other words, if you were to ask me, a father, who are you? I would probably resort to, well, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm an aunt, uh, I'm a cousin. Or I might answer it in religious terms and say, well, I'm a child of God. That's our primary identity as Catholics. Uh, But instead, because many young people are disconnected from these ways of constructing their identity, they answer it with resort to politics, say, who are you? I'm a feminist or I'm a, a LGBTQ person that becomes my identity. Um, I'm a member of Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. So I think these collective political groups are serving as substitutes for what ought to be uh, deeper ways of identification. Because the ways of identifying uh, the way that humanity has traditionally identified itself through family, through faith, through country, the wheels have come off this thing for a lot of people, again, especially younger people, and that's what I think we're seeing in the streets.
0: The um, well, and I think obviously that that transfers over um, into ministry uh, as well. So, Father Doug, you're. Um, Father Doug is, is a Catholic priest who's also a husband and a father, have been an Episcopalian priest and now, is now a Catholic priest. So for you, Father Doug, I mean, is that something that you've encountered just in, in, in ministry or in your life of, of, of raising your own kids? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was a former youth minister for 10 years and, and dealt with you know, this kind of stuff quite a bit because you see a, a huge disconnect between parents and their children now. Um, there, there's some parents that and some families that are able to do it very well to give the identity of their family to their children and, and usually they do that through time through spending time with them, through having activities with them and having common activities. but there, there's especially with with parents both having to work work out of the homes and and having careers and then if you have a single family, uh, a family with a single parent, makes it much much more difficult so one of the things i found in the article that i really identified with especially with dealing with younger people and even the the friends of my own children would be their accessibility to other groups to to larger groups that would be have a positive impact on them such as a youth group we see i saw the inconsistency in my own youth group of kids being able to get there and their availability to the youth group and lots of times that ran along the lines of, was it a single parent in the home? How connected was both parents, not only to the Catholic faith, but just to their faith in general. We had families that would have, you know, a, a mother who wasn't Catholic and a dad who was, where the family still had, um, you know, participation in our church, had participation in our group and had the opportunity to see those broader um, those broader relationships, but, but I see it you know, I saw it all the way down, not just with the youth group, but with their participation in activities at school, with their participation with activities in the, in the community. And so that, that part of the article really hit home with me and just what I see in, in ministry itself. And so, I, you know, I, I do think that um, what winds up happening is is those, pe- those kids who don't have that, they're going to find that somewhere. They're gonna try and find it somewhere. And a lot of it does happen online. And a lot of it does happen through, you know, these online communities specifically, but through gaming systems, through Xbox, just this underlying community that's there of kids and, and the parents, it, it goes unseen because parents don't deal with that as much. They're not on there as much. And so by the time a child actually interacts with their parent and gives them an opportunity to see what's going on in their lives, the, the community is already formed there or, or the 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 identity that they found is already different from theirs and so it's it's hard for them to continue to re, to relate to them and it makes this whole issue I mean
0: exactly what you're saying. So, so Mary in the article you, t- you talk about kind of like two hypothetical um persons kind of you know um uh one born in uh, w- William and and his grandson Brandon and uh William, you know, as as kind of a baby boomer and, and Brandon growing up, and just kind of the difference in sort of foundational experiences that, that 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 they both would have seen. You know, neither one necessarily anything anything crazy or outside the box, but but being able to to understand what the Zoomers, I think you call them, these kids, you know, a kid born in, in 2000, um, I've heard Gen Z or, or uh, iGen, you know, different ways of, of describing them. How is that substantially different? And, and how is that maybe making them less equipped to be able to, to deal with struggles and problems in, in, in society at large and in their own, in, in their own lives?
1: Well, the demographic trends since the sexual revolution, uh, I'm talking about things like fatherlessness, abortion, uh, broken homes, etc cetera. These trends have had the effect of subtracting people from people's lives. And what I mean by that is simple arithmetic. A 21-year-old today is far less likely to have siblings, to have several siblings, is far less likely to have a father in the home, it has a much smaller extended family than people of the baby boom generation did. And the point is all these changes add up. It's hard to talk about this because nobody wants to point a finger at single moms. Single moms do heroic work. But I think we have to face what society has been avoiding for the last 60 years, which is the human damage of what we're doing to ourselves, trying to live without robust families, without religious faith, without organized religion, and without loyalty to place, to country. There's a lot of suffering out there and what keeps me going in this work is the idea that if we shine a bright enough light on it, we can make people feel better. If we call things by their rightful names, we can show that, Young people today, I think, are victims, many of them. They're just not victims of the things that they think they are. So the trouble out there is not the patriarchy or heteronormativity or abstractions like that. The, the trouble is right on the ground and it has to do with disconnection from primordial important things like family, like faith, and like love of country, love of place. So I think there's a fantastic opportunity for the church here. You know, the church gets such a bad rap uh, about so many things, sometimes rightfully, um, often not, but the Catholic Church called this right from the beginning. The Catholic Church was not on board with the sexual revolution, and Humane Vitae, among other uh, documents, predicted that bad things would come to pass if procreation and recreation were separated. The Catholic church got this 100% right and doesn't get credit for it. But again, I'm trying to connect the dots so that the suffering that we see out there, especially among the young, gets connected to the deep truth that the church has been teaching about these things. So I really appreciate the work that, that you do you know, stepping into this void that's been created um, by the destruction of family and the destruction of, of religious faith. Because again, I think there is a great opportunity here for the church because in this identity crisis uh, among the young, they are looking for answers to these fundamental questions. And <clears throat> we just need to steer them in the direction that'll give them the deep truths they're looking for
0: you um you make a a lot of points that i think speak to not just like a this isn't just like a right or left problem um you know, you know that that it's 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 a it's a human problem it's a problem with it's it's affecting and impacting all of society but the the tendency that we have to explain all the struggles either in economic or racial terms like you make the point that both of those obviously are, are, are part of the story here, you know, um, um, whether economic injustice or racial injustice, but that this deeper aspect of, of, you know, the fatherhood, you know, and family life, you know, the, the breakdown of that, the breakdown of, 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 of God, and then relationship with country, that those three things are more um, substantial to to this problem. Now, is, is that is that an important distinction for us to make?
1: Yeah, I think these things are deeply related, and I'll give you another example. Um, this summer, summer 2020, not only saw the protests and the riots, there were also there was a sharp increase in attacks on Catholic churches, Catholic statues. The U.S. Bishops Conference put out a press release about this, and the point is, if police brutality were the problem why were people attacking the churches? I think they were attacking the churches again because there is this feeling of fury about being dispossessed and knowing that you're missing something and not knowing what that thing is. And I think this was the animus that we saw this summer in these protests. And it proves that these, that connection to fathers, connection to a whole, to a heavenly father, these things are deeply related. And the proof is in the attacks on Catholic churches this summer.
0: So with that too, the um, kind of the, the third aspect as far as a loss of, 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 of patria, of country, of, 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 of where we get the word patriotism, um, love and respect, uh, affection for our country, for our homeland. Um, I think we're constantly warned about like the effects of, of like a, a, an uber nationalism you know a country above all else sort of thing that, that's kind of constantly the warning that we're facing but I don't really think that's the reality of <laughs> of what most people are growing up with now you've done a lot of work in, in academia and, and, and a lot of different levels is that is that a, a an attack on the, the patri on, on on patriotism at large is is that kind of how widespread is that reality and and how much is that impacting uh, the the national conversation?
1: Yeah, well, I think especially on the left, there's a tendency to worry a great deal about the idea of patriotism, but my analysis is the opposite of theirs. I think the problem isn't that there are people who are fervently patriotic, who love their country, who wave the flag. I think the problem is that among a, a lot of young people They haven't learned to attach to anything. And that's why, again, we see this frantic move to go online and find which aggrieved minority um, looks the most like me or thinks the most like me. It's where these collective identitarian groups are coming from. And those groups would be there without... uh, those groups I'm sorry would probably be there even if the sexual revolution had never happened but we need to focus on why people are seeking them out so frantically and in so many numbers and that's that's the those are the dots I'm trying to connect
2: and and I you know I think I mean and you brought up Colin Kaepernick in your article and I think that was a A very interesting connect because it is true that they are looking for an identity and and almost trying to, um, if you will, kind of change what the identity of the American is or what it's supposed to be and moving it away from as you're saying more of a patriotism and and moving it away from the things that we should be proud of and the things that we've been exceptional at and the way that we've been able to help you know other countries in in this world lead them to freedom and, and to democracy and those sorts of things and now really more apologizing for for those sorts of things apologizing for um, you know, and in, in even the, the critical race theory, the, the reimagining of what it would be like to, to you know, basically tear away the, the Constitution and to re- reimagine it and to re, you know to redo it and to refocus it. I mean, do you think that this is something that, that I mean, I know that's probably on a higher level than necessarily what we're talking about, but, but that is what's coming down the pike. That is the kind of things that we're seeing and that these groups are kind of identifying with. But it seems like they're being sold um, a bill of goods. It seems like there's a bait and switch that's going on, that they're saying one thing, but it's coming across as another. For instance, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I think lots of people who would say Black Lives Matter did not mean what the, the manifesto of the of the movement meant. If you go to the website and you read it, people were shocked by it. Did you find that as well?
1: Oh, yes. Um Black Lives Matter took down some language from its website where it talked about wanting to destroy the nuclear family um, and never using the words fathers or brothers. It was very interesting. Um, But I wrote down what was on their website before they took it down. And I think that language tells us a lot. I also think what tells us a lot is what people were doing when Black Lives Matter was out there, uh, say, disrupting people who were dining outdoors. Do you remember that? All the footage, the videos of people who were trying to eat out at restaurants at a time when you couldn't be inside because of the pandemic. You know, whose idea of fun is that? To go around and disrupt people at a very difficult time when they're out with their family and friends. Similarly, Black Lives Matter, Uh, went into places like Georgetown in D.C., residential neighborhoods in cities across the country, and shined flashlights in the middle of the night to wake people up, uh, to disturb them in their homes. The reason I mention this is that if you look closely at what they were doing, there was a, a fury, there was an anger there against people who were with their families, with their friends, in their safe space, and it really feels like that fury, that anger, is about other people having things that disconnected people don't. That, I think, is the most important thing that we learned in 2020, is that it's not just that there are people who are secure in their attachments to family and community, and then there are people who are not. It's that the people who don't have those things are angry and resentful and want to disturb the people who do have those things and that that's something really new in america and and i think really disturbing which is why we have to pay close attention to it
0: i think too it it gets into and and maybe this is where the deeper questions of faith come in as well as well that that if um if all we have is 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 this world in a sense that we're not living for anything greater than ourselves. Then it becomes, you know, basically a a very, very limited resource and I need to tear down someone else in order to make myself um, feel better. So I think maybe one of the, one of the aspects of the disenfranchisement from, from church, just general church practice, what's to speak of deep faith and discipleship that hopefully people that are attending church are, are growing in is really, is, is hurting society at large. As much as we've tried to separate church and state and, and think that church has nothing to do with it, maybe that's part of the problem, thinking that, that our faith life has nothing to do with society at large, that it really is hurting people in, 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 in deep and profound ways when they don't have a, a, a faith life that's something that's transcendent and beautiful and, and, and helping them to live a, a better life, but also a more meaningful life as well.
1: I think you really hit it, Father. It's necessary to have some idea of something beyond ourselves. um, Or we're reduced to crabbed versions of ourselves to we're diminished so much by not having that kind of horizon. And also, I think we're seeing that secularization is bad for society. So for example, any practicing Christian Uh, has an idea about deadly sins, right, Um, uh, for example, anger and envy. These are not emotions that we're encouraged to have. They're, They're toxic to the soul. So in a country where fewer people are going to church, I think we're seeing that the stigma against these things is ebbing away. And the, the anger that we saw in the streets and the envy that we see in these disruptions of family life outdoors or in the house, whatever it might be. I, I think that these are um, examples of what, what society is suffering as a result of the uh, diminishing of religious practice.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, that's always kind of been the, the dream is to get all the, the good aspects the virtuous aspects of a christian life without any of like the the, the pesky <laughs> you know faith and its demands on us and, and and this god so it's like you know kind of the, the the proverbial one you know cake and eating it too um that the world wants a totally secular society that where people still uh you know can respect each other and respect one another's differences and lift up the little guy and everything and and we're seeing that you can't have both. It's going to be, it's when you get rid of God, there's that great line that when, when you get rid of the the creator, the, the the creature disappears, you know, that, that our own humanity um, kind of, kind of gets dispersed. So I, I think about this too, just, and you mentioned a um, uh, uh, thinker, Deborah Savage, um, who Debra Savage, who speaks about this being kind of lost lost in the cosmos that we don't even understand ourselves. Maybe talk a little bit more about that, about that, since we're disconnected from family, we're disconnected from religion and really kind of any sort of, um, meaningful community things. Kids aren't, you know, part of scouting or they're not part of Little League or they're, you know, because of, the, of, of family ties, but then also the, the country as well that I don't see myself proudly as an American. Sure, we've had, you know, you know, difficult moments in the past and, and, and it's we're working towards greater justice, but I'm proud. I'm proud of my country. So without that, that we become lost to ourselves that even our, our own self um, identity and understanding uh, has, has been diminished.
1: Yeah, so we are losing track of the deep truth that we are social creatures and we need each other. The Catholic Church understands this, but I think fewer and fewer Americans, especially young Americans, understand it. So, one of the things I try to do in my work is to look at evidence from the animal world, you know, because there's so much concern for animal welfare and there's been so much study of animals. And what's really ironic is that if we think about animals like elephants, a lot of people care passionately about this, um, and I I care too. Uh, We see that we have learned that they're intensely social creatures. They suffer if they are separated from their families. Um, And in fact, we know this now. This is one reason why... Uh, elephants are no longer allowed in circuses because there's this new understanding of what they require to thrive. They require each other. And I find it so um, interesting and sad that we don't apply all of our knowledge about the animal world to ourselves. Mm. You know, somehow we just don't understand that we human beings are the same way. We learn from each other, we need each other. If we ran experiments on other species that we are running on ourselves after the sexual revolution, there would be an outcry. Nobody could bear it, but we do this to ourselves and somehow that the damage isn't seen in the same way, Um, which is why I bring this kind of research into these discussions because I think if we talk about elephants or wolves or monkeys, we can see very clearly that when we mess with these deep attachments that they have, we are messing with them in a way that is wrong. Um, we just need to make the analogy to ourselves.
0: That, that's that maybe kind of allowing us to to recognize that a lot of what we're seeing in society is is you know <laughs> whether it's, it's kind of woke identity politics is is anti scientific you know in a certain sense that it's it's trying to break down what's. We would say comes, you know, from our good and loving God and, and creator on a scientific sense, you know, millions of years of evolution, you know, that have led us to this point where we need each other, we need a foundation and that we, we, we form ourselves from when we strip that away and try to artificially place something on top of it, it's not going to end with the results that, that we wanted to. And what I hear you saying, too, is is that, you know, this
2: isn't just necessarily a theological thing. It is. I mean, we we know that as Catholics for a fact that it's a theological thing, but it's a natural law thing as well. It's something that, that can be picked up um, easily without having, you know, at least the, the damages can be picked up easily without even having a theological understanding for what's really going on. Now, of course, to reverse this effect and to, to have... Uh, to, to have it where we're thriving as as human beings we know that that theological aspect has to come into it and so that's to me that's part of the answer to the question of what what the problem is and so trying to figure out how, you know what are the things that we can do to to better Im- improve the situation we're in how can we move forward from here what are the things that that you know that we can do as not just as Catholics but as Americans, kind of change the 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 trajectory that we're going in.
1: So I think one of the things that's most important is understanding the hunger out there for what we have. I always think of a story uh, once after a speech a young woman came up to me a college student and she said uh, I'm a recent convert and I said to her well what converted you was it the the history of the church? Was it, you know, philosophy, theology? Was it the artistic treasures of Catholicism? And she said, no, it was none of those things. Um, I, I grew up, I was an only child, and I made a friend who was from a big Catholic family. And I went over to their house a lot, and I realized I wanted what they had. And, you know it sounds so simple but it touched me so deeply because to me that was an example of the hunger out there so when we ask well what should we do about it we can look at politics we can look at policies that might strengthen the family and all of that would be to the good but i think we also need to be aware of those who are fortunate enough to be in robust communities or to be in robust families just how much other people would like to be included in those very things so that's a starting point
0: absolutely to me like that, that brings back that call to evangelization we're not we don't evangelize primarily just to you know pat our numbers or or, or you know meet some sort of quota we do it because what we've received and i could say this as 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 a disciple as a catholic as a priest is good i mean it's beautiful that i have an identity that can't be taken from me. You know, government can't take my identity from me that, that no matter what oppression I I might face or, or difficulties in life or, or sufferings or anything else that it's, I'm I'm, going to remain God's beloved son and I'm going to remain, you know, united to him through Jesus. So, So that, that to me is such a, is such a, a gift. So why not want to invite other people to consider that and to, and to receive it as well, which I think is, is, is a real, just a good challenge for us as if you are part of of a community, whether it's a faith community or a family, finding creative ways of of bringing people into that um, to help them to see that there's, there's more to life than just what we've cobbled together as, as a, uh, in in our uh, identity politics or in a post-Christian society of trying to find out who can be the most outraged that there's more. and, And it's a beautiful thing. And it doesn't, doesn't negate injustice. and doesn't negate problems in society, but it actually gives a creative way of engaging with those, um, that uh, that helps us build rather than, than just tear down. I, I think it's interesting too. There's this, you know, this
2: TV commercial for AT&T where they're, they're talking about that there's this new product and it's for everyone. And so the guy gets on the phone, he's very excited and he shares it with his mom who he thinks and, and instead it's a friend and he says, oh, well, he's coming down here. And the lady looks into the camera and says, you know, we're about, you know, or person-to-person contact was the way you know it used to be done it wasn't through commercials Mm -hmm. and that even even there's this sense even in commercialism that that no it it happens through human contact it happens through passing things on one by one and by sharing with each other and so i I, i'm I'm with you um i think there is this hunger for it and that they that it's being recognized in a commercial um, Mm -hmm and being passed on to people just kind of shares the, 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 the nature in which, I mean, you know, the, the kind of predicament we find ourselves in that, that it's even happening there and that it's happening around us. And no one's really understanding that, no, it, it's through these relationships that we have with each other. It's through sharing of the sharing of the gospel truth, it's through loving each other and inviting people into, into our world and, and, and to help hopefully make our world a better place too, even with what they bring to it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mary, um, we are so grateful to you. I I highly encourage everyone to check out. uh, It's the latest edition of First Things, um, uh, the December 2020 edition, her article, uh, Fury of the Fatherless. Uh, It's also building on a book that you released uh, recently called Primal Screams. Anything you want to tell us about, about that book?
1: It is what lays out the thesis that these things are deeply related, identity politics on the one hand and what's happened since the sexual revolution on the other. And uh, the piece that you are talking about in First Things is a kind of follow on to that argument.
0: Excellent. And Mary's website is maryaberstadt.com and we will link to that um uh here and we are so grateful to you for taking the time to talk with us for your wisdom and uh, the great work that you're doing um and thank you all so much for watching for listening for uh for supporting us as well here at catholic in america and uh until we see you guys next time god bless you and uh, we'll keep each other in prayer
1: Thanks. thanks